This is Dr. Baba Kazizadeh. You are listening to the Smile Podcast, where I will be sharing with you my unique and holistic perspective on beauty, health, and wellness. Hello. <laughs> Millions of people have surgery every year. Or you could just get a boob job. Using targeted Botox can be a miracle. Smiling like that is a skill. Your surgery has been successful. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Smile Podcast. Uh, I'm Dr. Baba Kazizadeh, and we will continue our theme of beauty, health, and wellness today uh, in our podcast. And today what I'm gonna talk about is, we're gonna name this the Facelift 101 podcast. And we're gonna call it Facelift because that's what a lot of people think about when they're thinking about facial rejuvenation and looking younger and more natural and aesthetic. And so, you know, the Facelift is a name that you know, a lot of people come in asking for, I wanna have a facelift, they have questions about it. So today what I'm gonna talk about is how do we analyze an individual who's coming in to have facial rejuvenation and how do we really come up with a plan that we ultimately want to have for that individual to have the best possible outcome? And what is our considerations for great outcomes. So we'll go over a little bit of the analytic tool that I do, and hopefully if you're somewhere else in the world and um, are thinking about this, I want you guys to think about how your doctor is also approaching it. So we'll go through a lot of details of how we're gonna do this and how do we analyze it and what the ideal options are and what do we do. For those of you who are listening to the podcast um, and are not viewing this on YouTube, um, uh, if you can check out the YouTube uh, uh, video of this podcast, we'll have some illustrations um, that will also explain a little bit more detail, but we'll try to really explain things uh, so that um, for those of you who are listening, you can have a great uh, visualization of this in your mind. So what we're gonna do is today, we're gonna start with actually, what is beauty and what is attractiveness? And how do we really think about it? And when someone comes in to see me um, in my practice for facial rejuvenation or almost anything that they wanna do, really there are three key things that I always talk about. And we always wanna kind of go over, okay, these are the three critical aspects of why people are seeking to uh, see a plastic surgeon or a dermatologist or a facial plastic surgeon or an oculoplastic surgeon. They want to look better. They want to look more youthful, but not at the sacrifice of looking unnatural. And those are the three critical components. Because if someone is seeking to look unnatural, then Yes, we can do that, but that's not our ultimate goal. Our ultimate goal is for somebody who is going to a party or seeing friends or having a cup of coffee with um, you know their their kids, friends, parents, or their colleagues. When someone's looking at them, we want them to think, "Wow, they look really good. They look well rested. They look attractive." And that is the ultimate goal of 
what I think about, and I think it should be really what most doctors and most individuals who are seeking these treatments, because the last thing you want is to walk into a party and for someone not tell you in the face, but behind your back that, oh my God, look at that facelift or look at what they've done or look at that quote unquote bad Botox. So that's really kind of our ultimate goal with facial rejuvenation. And it should be really with most of the things that we do. That's our ultimate, you know, best outcome. So how do we create that? How do we create that attractiveness? How do we create that youthfulness? How do we create this natural appearance? And look, everyone's born with different anatomies. Everyone's has different ethnicities. They're, they come from different places and walks of life. So there is no cookie cutter in this process. It really, to get that best outcome, it needs to be very customized to your anatomy, your aging process, your aesthetics. So how do we really accomplish all of this? And how do we get to the bottom line of getting this? So we have to look at it in multi-dimensional and multi-factors to be able to customize this. So the very first thing that we wanna do is we wanna look at the envelope what's on top of your face, and that's your skin. So we need to make sure that your skin is flawless, and that's not easy to do. And the way I look at the skin, and we have had podcasts and we will have podcasts that have a lot of information about your skin and how to manage it and so forth with great dermatologists, but ultimately your skin, you gotta think about it like your teeth it takes a lot of attention. You need to floss, you need to brush. Now we need to water floss, by the way, and we'll have a segment on teeth and having the best possible teeth uh, with uh, my sister, who's a dentist, uh, Dr. Katrine Azizadeh, who's a phenomenal uh, general and cosmetic dentist, but that'll be a separate, a separate podcast. But you gotta give a lot of love and attention to your teeth. You gotta go to the dentist maybe every six months to get cleaning, to take care of cavities, to maybe do some bleaching, to do deep cleaning. So we pay a lot of attention to our teeth. And I would say most people in North America really do pay a lot of attention to their teeth, but we pay almost no attention to our skin because we take it for granted. And what do we need to do to, for our skin? We need the skin to have smooth texture, even color, fine lines that are minimal, deep lines that are minimal and appropriate for one's age. And so there are preventative factors that we can take into account and those include avoiding excessive sun, having a healthy diet that has anti-inflammatory pro uh, products in it, avoiding smoking and nicotine products that really reduce the blood supply to the skin. There's genetic factors. There's some people whose skin are gonna be phenomenal regardless of what they do, but some people that really, regardless of what they do, will need to give it more love. So those are things that are preventative and a little bit out of our control, but what can we do to manage skin throughout your 20s, 30s, 40s, and beyond. You need to make sure you use your sun protection and sunscreen. 
you need to make sure that you're cleansing your skin and you're doing the same love that you're giving your teeth in the morning and evening, you're doing the same thing with your skin. And there are products, depending on your skin type, depending on your aging process, that will help heal and repair the skin, that will help the skin remain flawless, that will help the skin, if it's flawed, reverse back. And everyone needs a different skin care regimen, but that is very, very important. Your daily skincare regimen of a variety of different products. And these are not products generally that are sold at Neiman Marcus. These are products that you need to really see a plastic surgeon, dermatologist, skincare specialist that will help you figure out what's the best. And sometimes it's not one company that can do all of it. So what we do is we pick and choose the best from different companies, skincare companies that have come up with their area of expertise for different factors. So that is very, very important. So the general skincare regimen to reduce all of that. The next thing that you wanna do is on a yearly basis, just like you go to the dentist for your skincare, uh, uh, for your dental cleaning, you wanna do some light peels. What peels do is it takes and gets rid of the top layers of skin that have become essentially have sloughed off and are making your skin very coarse and skincare regimens can't just take care of all of it. So this is a little bit of the deep cleaning. And then there are other newer products like PRP, platelet-rich plasma, that can be placed into the deeper layers with microneedling. These are little fine needles that put, put little teeny, 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 kind of invisible holes in your skin and your platelets have a lot of growth factors that allow your skin to really stay rejuvenated and get rejuvenated. And then finally, every two, three years, regardless of your skin color, you can have a little bit more active and deeper peels or lasers that help really turn over the skin and make the skin look fantastic. And these are gonna have a little bit more downtime, but the results are also a lot more fantastic. You don't need to do it every six months, but every few years, you can do a nice laser resurfacing. And we generally like the fractionated laser resurfacing. And there's a ton of different companies that make fractionated lasers, and those end up being fantastic. So the first layer we look at, the first thing we look at is your skin. and. We wanna make your skin flawless. And so you could have jowls and neck bands and all of these things. And still, if your skin isn't fantastic, you're not gonna look fantastic. And you could never have a facelift in your life, never have eyelid uh, surgery in your life. But if you have flawless skin, you look great. So that's the first thing. Then, we're thinking three-dimensionally. We are now going into a deeper aspect of the face. And how do we look at that? How do we analyze it? And even though everyone has a different anatomy, everyone has different aesthetics, everyone has different cultural backgrounds, I, and actually studies have been done that there are certain features that look more youthful, attractive. And I came up with a, 
concept of the facial anatomic subunit analysis. And basically what it is, is we look at the external surface of the face and we know the face is not just the skin. It's not just the layers under the skin. There are deep fat compartments in our face that age differently and move differently. Our bone and skeleton changes as we age. As we age, the bone in our face resorbs the eye socket widens. And so the shape of the face changes. And that was something we never looked at in the past. It was always like, oh, you have jowls, which are, you know, these, these tissues that are hanging in the side of our jawline, or you have loose skin under your neck, like the turkey gobbler. That's what people were focused on. And yes, those are very, very important things. But ultimately to look natural, youthful, and aesthetic, the shape of our face needs to look, have certain features. And so we looked at the anatomy of people, whether Asian, Northern European, Latino, Latina, African-American, we saw certain features that were pretty universal and it happened to create this shape. And we, again, we call it the facial anatomic subunit analysis or FASA. And so how I look at the face is we look at the cheekbones as the cornerstone of our face. And the cheekbones need to be the widest aspect of our face. And under the cheekbone, we have bone and very little else, very little skin. So the cheekbone needs to be this widest portion of our face and everything else above it in our temple area and below it, in front of our ear, the cheek, the laugh lines, the jawline needs to blend in and be slightly more narrow. We don't want it to be hollow, but we want it to be a little bit more narrow and smooth transition. And when you have that, and again, whether you're, you know, Northern European or Asian, these features make a huge difference. And for men, it's a little bit different than women. And so we have to take that into account. And so as a result, we look at a photo of Marlon Brando when he was young, very, very attractive. And you look at him when he was taping Godfather, you could see a reversal of this process. The area in his jawline was wider than his cheekbone. And that's exactly what we want to reverse when we're looking at facelifts and facial rejuvenation and eyelid surgery and so forth. So that is the key component when we're looking at someone who is coming to us for facial rejuvenation is how do we shift this triangularity of aging to a triangularity of youth. And that triangle is wide cheekbones coming down very, very narrow or narrower along the jawline. So how do we accomplish that? And unfortunately, there's no one single thing. If someone's very youthful, we can use fillers to give volume in the appropriate locations to do that. We can use Botox, which is basically a muscle relaxer to relax the muscles that are pulling the corner of the mouth down to help them get lifted. 
and we can use some ultrasound tightening devices like Altherapy to give a little bit of tightness. However, as the aging process accelerates, or sometimes our anatomy were born a certain way, and we have a lot of fullness in our cheeks, lower down, and our jowl area, we have to use surgery to actually address those areas. And the way that we use surgical procedures is we reposition tissues to get that aesthetic improvement and to get that overall beautification that's very, very, very important in getting the best possible outcome. So traditionally, we always talk about facelifts, but we really now talk about facial reshaping more than anything else. And sometimes we have to lift the sagging skin in our neck and jawline. Sometimes we have to lift the deeper fat compartments. Sometimes we have to do all of this with in combination with adding volume, such as fat grafting or fillers to certain areas that have sunken in and are too deep. And it's also important how we're, what angles we're moving the face and we resh we're reshaping the face. Very, very, very important, the angles and so forth. So when we talk about facelifts, it's not cookie cutter. It is almost like structural engineering combined with understanding the art and aesthetic of someone's face. So that is why I really believe facelifts, facial rejuvenation, facial reshaping, whatever you wanna call it, has a lot of complex components to it to get it right. Because you're not only dealing with, you know, this structural engineering, you have to have an artist's eye to see what looks beautiful and attractive. And that's why we always wanna really customize all of this. So when we're looking at facelifts, facial rejuvenation, facial reshaping, these are the things that we wanna kind of really, really consider when we're looking at someone. Now, how do we access the face? How do we do a facelift? How do we, where are the incisions? Because that's what a lot of people are always thinking about. And also the other thing is when people think about a facelift, they're thinking their whole face, including their brows and their ears, everything's being lifted, but that's not the case. So when we're looking at the face, we really look at three areas. We look at the cheek area, we look at the jawline, and we look at the neck area. And these areas are all in harmony with one another. So these three areas we need to address simultaneously with repositioning of tissues, maybe adding volume, maybe taking, you know, uh, angles that are a little bit higher or more posterior or backwards to be able to get the best possible outcome. It doesn't mean that somebody always needs a brow lift, which is a completely separate operation with a facelift. So the incisions that we can use are very, very, very well hidden. And they're basically right around the ear area in super, super hidden angles. And if your surgeon is really, really talented, they can with 99% plus time do an incision that heals so well, very few people, if any, can see it. 
So we can access the entire area through the incisions in and around the ears. Sometimes we have to add a little access point under the chin to get the fat pockets or do some liposuction of fat, excess fat there. Sometimes we've got to tighten the muscles under the neck. Those are called platysmal banding. And in some people who have very recessed chins, their bones either due to aging or as a result of just their genetic uh, factors, sometimes we have to augment the chin area. And that's actually, even though a lot of people think chin implants are an operation that we do for younger individuals who are going through nose jobs and rhinoplasty, we actually can use it really beautifully in individuals who are older to help improve their facial rejuvenation outcomes. Because if the chin projection is not ideal, then we don't get that great outcome. So incision-wise, that's kind of what we really try to do to accomplish. Now, as far as the number of hours it takes and the type of anesthesia, every surgeon is different. Their preferences are different. What they do is different. So you have to talk to your surgeon. And again, this isn't. This should not be a cookie cutter surgery. You know. So if you call and say, oh, how long a facelift? Every facelift, every facial rejuvenation procedure has a different length of time because we're customizing it for you to get that best possible outcome. So those are very, very important aspects. Now, as far as recovery goes, it depends on a couple of things. One, what procedures are you doing? Is it just the face? Is it chin implant? Is it eyelid surgery? Is it other things that you're doing? But typically, most people are able to get back to their normal routine activity within about 10 to 14 days. I call it black tie function ready, meaning like you're gonna be able to go to an engagement party or a wedding you know, of someone else, not of your own, within about three to four weeks. If it's your own really important event, give yourself more time, not because you're not gonna be ready, but you don't wanna put yourself under that stress. And being relaxed for these operations and procedures are really, really important. Final results of facial rejuvenation takes about six months. That last 5% of healing takes usually five to six months. So it's very subtle changes, but swelling, healing, the way the incisions heal, all of that stuff will take a few months. Um, and success rate, I would say every surgeon has a different success rate. And this is where I think as a consumer, it's pretty hard to know. Yes, you can go to Yelp. Yes, you could do word of mouth. Yes, there are a lot of factors that are going in to outcomes, but surgeons and their ability to deliver the best possible outcome that's customized for you, it's kind of like athletes, right? Because there are athletes that are fantastic basketball players, but there are LeBron James, and then there's you know, a bench player, and it's sometimes, although it, in athletics, it's easier to determine who's LeBron James and who's the bench player. In plastic surgery, it's a little bit more difficult because you could have a friend who's had a great outcome with a doctor, but that may have been only one of or two of his best results ever. 
and he could have eight results that wasn't as as great. Another surgeon could have had a patient that wasn't so happy, but her results, 95 out of 100 times are really great, and it just happened that that five out of 100 wasn't as great, and that person came to you and said, oh my God, I wasn't happy with the outcome. So it's a little bit difficult to know how good your surgeon is. But there are some ways, and we'll have a podcast that actually talks about how you should look and how you should find your surgeon and find out, you know, research. And it's going to hopefully be very insightful with that. So, but when I look at my own practice and my patient population, facial rejuvenation patients are really tend to be my happiest patients because they end up getting on average more than 95, 97% of the time, really great results. And even in those two, 3% of the time where they're not quite happy with the outcome, maybe their neck is a little bit looser than they thought, or there's a little bit more jowling, or just kind of didn't go the way that they want. Those are usually situations that we can go back and do a little bit more fine tune and get really, really good results. So satisfaction rates, again, amongst different surgeons is different. Also the expectation that some patients have may be so high and unrealistic that no surgeon can match or meet those expectations. So it's really, really important that your surgeon and you really communicate well, and you make sure that the surgeon is you know, honest, has integrity, and understands what your goals are. And that their artistic, you know, feel is same as what your artistic feel is. And obviously they need to have the skill set because there can be complications and facelifts, even though satisfaction rates are really, really hard, there are risks to the operation and there are risks to everything we do, whether it's Botox, fillers, eyelid surgery, facelifts, rhinoplasty, body work, there are risks. So if a surgeon tells you, oh, I've never had a complication, it's either they haven't done enough surgery to not have complication or they're not being truthful. So there are risks with facelifts, facial rejuvenation. And I'll try to give you some of the most common ones and also the most dangerous ones that may not be very common. The most common risk of a facelift procedure is something we call hematoma. It's basically fluid or blood accumulation underneath the skin that pops up usually in the first 48 hours. And basically what happens is when you lift the skin, go to the deeper tissue layers and so forth, as you finish the surgery and close, it, close the incision up, fluid can accumulate because the skin, you've kind of separated out all the little edges and all the little blood supplies. Now, in the operation, we tend to spend so much time getting all the little bleeding areas that we see, but postoperatively, your blood pressure may pop up. Maybe there was a blood vessel that we didn't see, or maybe a blood vessel that was kind of 
shrunken at the time of the surgery and pops open afterwards. This tends to be not a life-threatening process, but it's annoying because if it happens, you may have to see your doctor every day. They may need to put a needle in to drain out the fluid. And sometimes you got to go back to the operating room, open up the wound and clean it up. Now, the national average on this I, is about 7% of the time. In my practice, it tends to be about 3%, but every surgeon has a different risk profile. So that's something that you need to be aware of. The second thing that you need to be aware of is you will have some numbness around your ear. That's Everybody will experience that because these little sensory nerves that go to the ear are all around where the incisions are made, and they tend to come back usually in about eight to 12 weeks after the surgery. But there is a sensory nerve that may get damaged in the surgery. It's called the great auricular nerve. And if that happens, then you may have a long lasting sensory deficit and numbness around the ear. Now that's very rare, but it can happen. So that's something that you should be aware of. The third thing, and I would say the most dangerous, but not very common, is a facial nerve injury. And that's basically a facial nerve controls our facial expressions. And that nerve is deeply involved with the face. And when we go in and do our facial procedures, if your surgeon does not have expertise in facial nerve issues, does not know the anatomy, is technically careless, that nerve can get damaged. So that's why you want a surgeon who is an expert, understands, has ex you know experience, and is not careless because they will be able to have a much lower, lower risk of facial nerve injuries. And of course, we're always talking about scarring and incisions and so forth. So those are some of the things to think about from a complication profile that you need to be aware of if you're gonna undertake these procedures. Now, the other things to think about and talk about are drains. What drains are basically are little plastic tubes that teeny uh, drains that are placed underneath the skin to drain out the fluid. And there are some surgeons that use the drain, and if they do, they usually remove it within about 48 hours. Some people that don't. I personally don't think it makes that much of a difference one way or another. You should go with the preference of your surgeon. And I tend to always have a recommendation for people. Don't try to change the pattern of practice of your doctors by forcing them to do something they don't usually do. That's when complications take place. So it is very, very, very important that you allow your surgeon to do their routine because if they change it, a complication will, ta will take place. So as far as bruising and swelling goes, we talked about usually bruising, if you're very fair complexion, will be a little bit more and it's usually around the eye area and the neck area, and that tends to go away within about 10 day period. You could use makeup, at least I let my patients use makeup within about a week or so. We usually use both dissolvable and sutures that need to be removed, depending on the location. They are usually removed within about five days to a week. And that's kind of the big overarching factors that go with 
facial rejuvenation surgery that comes, you know, with, it's not risk-free, but I would say, generally speaking, overall major complications are fairly rare. If it's in the hands of an expert, someone who has experience, who has expertise and so forth. Now, as far as costs go with facelift surgery, and this is something that comes up all the time, there are, there's a variety of costs that go into performing cosmetic facial surgery. And that may be your surgeon's fees, the anesthesiologist fees, the operating room fees. And there is a lot of variability depending on your surgeon, their expertise, you know, how long they've been in practice, their outcomes, their location. So there's a lot of factors. And what I would say is you need to not pick your doctor based on their fees. You should pick your doctor based on their experience, expertise, outcomes, because there are a lot of factors. Because believe me, fixing a botched facelift is much more problematic, dangerous than doing it right the first time. So always find a surgeon that you love. And if they're not in your financial budget, don't push yourself, but maybe wait until you can afford them. And that's my advice usually to, um, to patients. Now, it doesn't mean the most expensive surgeon is the best surgeon. Don't, don't, that oftentimes may not be the case, but you as the consumer have, I think most people have a great gut feeling. They go see a doctor, I think they know after speaking to them for a bit of time. And if you're with a good doctor, they're gonna spend quality time explaining the things that I've just explained. We'll go through all the risks, we'll go through what's right for you. and. I think if you look at their before and afters, you'll have a really, really good sense of whether that individual is right for you. And then you can see if they fit in to your overall outcome and practice and so forth. So this is extremely important. Okay, so now I'm gonna, we had some questions that people had asked us to talk about, so I will go through and talk about them. One of the questions was, what's the difference? What is a deep plane facelift? And what is the difference between that and a traditional facelift? So when we talk about the layers of the skin, when we talk about the factors that go into how the structure of the face is. We have multiple layers to the, uh, to the skin. We have the top layer, then underneath it, there's a little fatty layer. Then there's a layer that we call the SMAS. It's technically called the superficial musculoaponeurotic system. So that layer is the structural framework of the face. And when we're doing facelifts, facial rejuvenation, that is the layer that we need to make sure is supporting the face. That's how we create that natural appearance, the vectors and so forth. Now, there are two ways to address that. One is to basically just lift it without going underneath it. That's called the SMAS facelift. 
Another way is to go underneath it and lift that SMAS layer and then bring everything up. And that's called the deep plane facelift. Both approaches are excellent. My personal preference is the deep plane facelift because I believe it gives a little bit longer longevity for the complex individuals who have, we need to reshape. I think it gives me a lot more opportunities and I really love the outcomes. And I get to approach by going underneath it, the deeper fat pockets, the buckle fat pad and so forth, and lift that up with everything else. And that gives, I think, the best possible jawline to our patients. So that's kind of the main difference between a deep plane and a SMAS. Now, if someone just does a skin lift, generally, I don't recommend that because the skin, if you don't lift the deeper tissue layers, will fall back down. And then it gives also a little unnatural appearance. How do you treat men and women differently? Fantastic question. And I think one of the things that we just talked about is the shape of the face. For men, we want the jawline to be a little stronger. We want the area below the cheekbone to be a little bit wider. So those are very important things. We don't wanna, again, we want to maintain a natural look. And that natural look means that their original anatomy, their gender, et cetera, are very, very important. The next thing is men have sideburns. So incisions need to be tailored towards how they wear their sideburns and so forth. And if it's done well, it's fantastic. The third thing is men cannot look like at all they've had any facelift procedure because that's just not as acceptable as a woman having facial rejuvenations or plastic surgery. So we have to be very, very delicate and be a little bit more conservative and be on the side of less is more. So that's kind of how I approach men. What's the youngest age you can get a facelift? So that's a fantastic question because I don't look at someone's age, to be honest with you. We know from an aging process, there are about three or four critical times that we age. That's in our 30s, late 40s, 70s, and obviously at puberty is the big change of kind of our facial structure. So I really look at someone when they're coming in and see what tools do I have to achieve the results that they're looking for. Generally speaking, when in your, your, someone's coming in in their 30s, we're really looking more at non-surgical stuff. But it doesn't mean that if someone's in their 30s and they have very small recessed chin, very droopy nose, very full and outpouching uh, side of their uh, jowling, they have really wide aesthetics of the lower face that's not quite, you know, in harmony with the rest of their face. They have a lot of fat underneath their neck. And if they're coming in and telling me that they want to look better, they want to look more aesthetic, they want to 
have more self-confidence, be less self-conscious. That individual, whether they're 35, 45, 55, I'm going to try to customize a plan that will give them an amazing outcome that is going to achieve their goals of feeling great, feeling confident, less self-conscious. And that may include surgery, that may include fillers, that may include Botox, skin resurfacing, chin implants, buccal fat pad repositioning, submental liposuction, and even sometimes what we call facelift, but because we're going to be left with a lot of skin after we do all of that. So this is really, really important. And in fact, it's funny. A few years ago, I had a patient who came in, lovely, lovely, lovely human being, just wonderful, was in the entertainment industry behind the scenes. And she came in and um, she was probably late 30s. And she said, look, I'm just not happy. I'm here. She was coming in actually to get Althera, which is this non-surgical tightening device. And I talked to her and she had all of the features that I just talked about. Very small recessed chin, a lot of fat under the neck, a lot of fullness and widening of the lower face. And I said, look, I know you came in for a non-surgical avenue. And usually I try to kind of really work with patients' preferences, but we really need to improve this lower part of your face. We need to put a chin implant in, do an extensive sub uh, liposuction, take this buccal fat pad and reposition it and reduce it and narrow this area behind here. And this is gonna require, you know, you know, a four or five hour surgery. And she was very appreciative and she said, thank you very much. And usually when someone comes in for, you know, little in office procedure and leaves with your surgeon telling them they're going to need a five hour surgery, generally they'll go and maybe think about it for a few months or a year and maybe come back. But a couple of weeks later, patient came back and she was there for a pre-op visit. I'm like, you know, I asked her, I'm like, you know, you came in for a non-surgical procedure and I offered you this, you know, extensive four or five hour surgery. May I ask what you, why you decided to do this? So she said a couple of really funny and interesting things. Number one, she said that, you know, I knew what you're telling me is exactly what I need. It was hard to admit it because obviously no one wants to go under the knife if they don't have to and you know have these procedures and so forth and you know to really think about doing all of that so i kind of knew that and i was talking to uh you know she was seeing her therapist she uh for mild mild uh depression and she was talking to the therapist about this and the therapist said what do you think what do you think ne you need to do and you know i I told my therapist, I got to do this because this is going to make a difference. And then she finally, the therapist asked, oh, may I ask who your surgeon is? And she said, oh, it's Dr. Aziza. She's like, oh my God, I'm going to be having a facelift with him in a few weeks. So it happened to be just a really interesting, you know, multi-level, uh, you know, signal for her to proceed with the surgery. But yes, yeah, so... I don't look at someone's age, not because it's not important, it's very, very important, but I really wanna 
do what's going to be best for you. And there are sometimes, you know, 85-year-old women who walk in and they're like, oh, I want to have a facelift. I'm like, look, let's do little things rather than a big thing. So everyone's different and we have to look at what everyone's goal is. Um, oh, this is a great question. Can I have my eyes done at the same time as my face and neck? Absolutely. And what we talked about, we, today we didn't talk about eyelid surgery 101, and that's a whole different uh, podcast, and we're going to have that soon. But the eyes, the eyebrows, the lower eyes, the cheeks, the jawline, the neck, they all go hand in hand. And aesthetically and harmoniously, we want to bring them all together. So yes, you can have those at the same time. Next question is, I notice my nose is getting longer with aging. Why is that? That is a fantastic question. And we're not going to talk about rhinoplasty in the concept because that's a probably a two-hour podcast. But what happens in the aging process is our skin thins out. The cartilage, which, you know, 80% of the nose is cartilage, becomes more and more stiff. And we have bones all around our eyes and cheek area that resorbs. And so the nose doesn't lengthen, but it repositions and the tip starts drooping. And that gives also an aging appearance. And so many times we talk about essentially a tip rhinoplasty to lift the tip up just a few degrees and the patients look so much better. And actually, we there was a study that was recently published that looked at that being one of the biggest reasons people look more youthful. So yes, rhinoplasty and nasal surgery are very, very, very important. All right, and this is our last question. And we will end our podcast um, on this question. And so what is a non-surgical option for a facelift? That is a really, really important question because hopefully this entire time period that we've been talking, you will, uh, everyone who is listening and viewing us will know that there really is no major answer to that because we have to look at each individual and see what their needs are. And yes, if your goals are not, you, you don't want to have surgery or you're medically or emotionally not to have surgery, there are things that you can do, but there isn't a real replacement. If you need all the things that we've outlined, there isn't a surgery that or a non-surgical procedure that could do that. We could do procedures that enhance your appearance make you look more youthful and so forth, but it's not going to be replacement of. There isn't anything like that. Even all therapy, which I really like, that tightens the skin and so forth, it's not really a facelift. All it does is it tightens the deeper tissue layers and probably prevents aging more than anything else. But we don't have a replacement. And people like come in and say, oh, I want to get a thread lift. And let's talk about that. I'm glad we remembered. Um, but what a thread lift is, is 
And this has been basically for the last 20 years. It comes in vogue, leaves, comes in vogue, and leaves. And I have nothing against Threadlift, but basically what it is is these barbed threads that people insert under the skin and take out in other places, and they pull the skin with it. And it's quote-unquote non-surgical, even though it's actually a little minor surgery, but it's not really effective with what we just outlined, which is reshaping the face and creating the aesthetic contours. And it really doesn't last long and it can get infected and it can cause dimpling. So I'm not a big fan of thread lifts. I actually use those wires in my facelift surgery to close the SMAS layer and it's wonderful because it really kind of does a great job with it. But as a facial rejuvenation procedure, I'm not a ginormous fan of it. So when you're looking at, when you're going to your doctor, I think ultimately, whether it's me or someone else, your goals, you need to lay out what your goals are because you also don't wanna go and waste a lot of money on non-surgical stuff if it's not gonna accomplish what your goals are. So that's really the key thing and your doctor should be able to give you a plan that is appropriate for you and that meets what your goals are as well as what your desires are, whether it's surgery, non-surgery, both. Um, but that ultimately will give you the best possible outcome. So I wanna thank everybody for tuning in to this podcast. And if you're watching on YouTube, I really appreciate uh, you tuning in. Please leave your comments, suggestions, rate us if you can. Um, put suggestions for topics. We're always um, looking uh, to bring you information that's very useful for not only beauty, health, wellness. And so we hope that you've enjoyed today's um, podcast. And I look forward to uh, seeing you soon and have a great rest of your day.